You're listening to the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 314, brought to you by Graphically and iFanboy members just like you. Please, Daddy, don't get drunk. fanboy.com pick of the week podcast this is episode 314 that number oh i am josh flanning and i'm here with connor kilpatrick hello and ron richards could not make it this week so we have the internet's paul montgomery jerry coco glad to be here nice which one's we which? live we are we're rolling we're okay. i got i got a i got a hot cocktail before starting the show <laughs> got a two inch reel to reel going it's, on this nog <laughs> all right <laughs> oh are you oh are you doing a reel to reel because i'm not editing that yeah, oh, we do. I do it all with uh, razor cuts and tape. Fuck that. <laughs> and I got to cut out all the swears, so if you don't mind holding that back, that's fine. I got a perfect score on real-to-real editing in college. Yeah, that was that was the last time really, you used really one. Really useful for my career, yeah, by the way. Yeah, totally. Well, conceptually, it's a uh, merit badge for that. iFanboy.com is our website. We like comics and old audio methods. Uh, every week we read a bunch of comics, and one of us has the job of picking the best one, and they write about it on the website that goes up Wednesday at some point. And then we talk about it on this podcast, and we talk about other books from the week that we feel like we have something to say uh, a thing about, and then uh, a couple of other things to wrap up the end. Sometimes we just go off topic completely. But maybe that doesn't happen tonight. It's it's a crapshoot. Before we get started, there's going to be spoilers. That's all I'm saying. You can't figure it out from there. Whatever. You're lost, buddy. Buddy Connor, you had the pick. Go. Did you call me Buddy Connor? Buddy 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 Connor. It's like a, I have a doll version of you <laughs> oh, that I keep, and I'm like, oh, I don't. I really don't what's need to that? know. This is Buddy uh, Connor. Connor friend. <laughs> Josh moved to New Hampshire and made dolls of me and Ron for people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't move far away to get parts of you closer to me. <laughs> let's just let's let's be honest with that. Quiet, Buddy Connor. Well and thoroughly skeeved out. Betrayal of the Planet of the Apes, number two from Boom Studios, was the pick of the week. And I'll I'll tell you guys the truth. It was a tough choice. Not that Planet of the Apes wasn't great. There was a bunch of books that I could have made to pick, and I was agonizing over it. And I, it took me actually from finishing my reading to starting to write the pick. I spent an hour of agonizing, and then I actually sat down to write it. <laughs> I write just a see you walking review. around, just oh. It actually was like that. I kind of I was like kind of walking circles in my apartment, and I actually sat down to write a different review. And when I when I started typing, it ended up being about Betrayal of the Planet of the Apes because, as it turns out. That was the best book I read this week. Um, I don't know if I've ever done that. Start. I literally. I did it a couple times. I sat down in my mind to read a different review, and I sat and I and I started typing. It became another thing. <laughs> I don't know. Paul's a big fan, so I know he's excited. It's actually one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show this week, Paul, because I'm not a big Planet of the Apes fan, but this book is fantastic. It's really, really good. I think even if you're not a fan of the series, like if you just saw like the first one, that's kind of enough. I recently, for, for my own podcast, I watched uh, with my friend Dave all of the films. We didn't watch the TV show or the cartoon or anything. Um, and we didn't go back to the uh, 2001, the Tim Burton movie. But it's a crazy franchise. There's a lot of like like temporal anomalies and like time distortion stuff. But this is like just classic. And you can tell that these two, Gabriel Hardman and Karina Bachko, are are huge fans of the original uh, movie. And it's like exactly what you'd want as a fan of the series. It's 
probably more interesting than most of the sequels. It's funny um, because you don't, and you don't have to be a big fan. I'm sure if you are a big fan, right. like you, it's it's going to be even better. But if you're not, you're just reading this book. It's about an ape society, and it's a political and legal thriller. More than anything else. Yeah, I think it all sums it up. There's there's a scene with two orangutan politicians talking about like a deep conspiracy in the back of a horse-drawn carriage. Right. And I just like like reading that scene like halfway through and just I can't believe I'm I'm reading a scene that's like this and it's they're playing it totally straight. The setup of the story is that there's a retired General Alaron who is now acting, I guess, as a lawyer. And in the first citizen Alaron. Yeah, in the yeah. first issue, in the first issue, he was defending this doctor who had taught his human slave. Because in this society, humans are pets. Slave is not the right word. Pets is the proper word. Taught his human pet to communicate via sign language, which is what we've done with primates uh, in, in this in the real world. And huh. they were charging him with a crime because it was a crime to elevate human to the status of ape. A human cannot be ape. Only ape is ape. An ape can't kill ape. So Alaron successfully argues to the to the council, which includes Dr. Zayas, which is the only character I remember from the original movie, and gets the doctor off. So then the, the members of the council and some other shadowy members decide this can't stand, so they go and they basically kill the doctor, which is a violation of the, the highest order because ape doesn't kill ape. Now in this issue, they framed Alaron for a different murder, and they're, they're this, in this issue they're, they've tracked him down, and he makes his escape. And it's, it's wonderfully drawn by Gabriel Hardman, who yeah. is one of our finest storytellers. I said mm-hmm. in my review that he and Darwin Cook are probably the best sort of pure panel-to-panel storytellers. And there is something really, as you said, some really cinematic about it. And they both have that film background. And I was just, you know, reading it and just because, you know, having seen the sequel so recently, I was like, I could totally see this as as a movie. Yeah. Um, not that so it would this, ever happen at this point. In this issue, the... Uh, the, there was a murder 15 years ago when Alaron was a general in his army. Uh, one of the apes ended up killed, so they're pinning this murder on him. This is out of the past kind of noirish yeah. kind of thing where this former colleague of his, like a lieutenant in the ape army, disappeared. And then they've just recently, in, the, in issue one, they found his skull with a bullet in it. So they basically, they, from his proximity, they figure General Alaron did it. But it's basically a big conspiracy. Because and they're, he, they're, the, other, the other hook there is that they're convinced that humans cannot use guns so therefore right. a human could not have done it so it must right. have been him that's yes that's a slight underpinning so yeah. the, the the opening sequence is a, a just a wonderfully drawn chase where Alaron jumps from the window from the second story of this apartment where they've come to arrest him and his versus an overhead shot of him out on the ledge and there's a wide shot of him jumping and then he lands the, gets the, a horse the, the landing panel just on its yes. own i was like that's mm-hmm. really good looking and then if you look at the I, I, I want to get a little technical, but like, look at the next panel where he's running down the road, and then in the same panel, which is broken up by the one before it, is you know the person saying Alaron, wait. Now that's in the same panel, but it looks like it's broken up. It's yes. just really cool. Mm-hmm. That's a pro level layout right there, is what I'm getting at. Then there's a horse chase. I mean, it's just this wonderful storytelling going on here. And then of course he's captured, and then there's some, there's a lot of backroom dealings, and there's skulls with bullets in them, and he gets sent off to a prison called the Reef, which is on because it's on the water and it's, there's a prison riot at the end. I mean, there, there's action and there's adventure, but it's mostly a legal and political thriller. Think of, like, the Firm movie with Tom Cruise where he runs around and fights dudes at some point, but mostly it's about trying to find evidence again of, of a murder and trying to exonerate yourself, and it's all with apes. Yeah, and, I mean, the, the architecture of, like, the ape city is beautiful. The reef is, like, this great big splash 
reveal of, of the reef facility. And it's this amazing looking image. And then nobody draws animals better than Gabe Hardman. I mean, oh. he's drawn he's drawn a coloring book for the zoo with animals that you can color in. And here, like he draws the best gorillas. The horse looks great. Nobody likes drawing horses, but yeah, those are amazing shots. It's, it was a breath of fresh air and. Uh, if you again, if you're not an Apes fan, I was. I'm not. You can still enjoy this. You don't need to know anything else. It, everything you need to know in the story is in the story. Have you seen like any of the? I've movies? seen the original. I said in, in the review. I've seen the original Planet of the Apes, but it was like a long time ago, probably 20 mm-hmm. years ago. And then I saw the. Unfortunately, I saw the Tim Burton. Now, uh, see the the. Yeah. I've seen a few of the originals, but not really. But the the first one, number one, that is a stellar film. I mean, you can watch it right now. Oh, it's, after reading this, I put it on my Netflix queue at the top. So, oh, it's, like, and you get you have the great Rod Serling sort of ending to it. That's the great twist mm-hmm. with sure, the uh, Statue of Liberty and, and, yeah. and really wonderful Jerry Goldsmith score. Yeah. I love the score in that movie. Right. It's just uh, a, the, the other thing. The other thing for fans is from the sequels. Ursus, who's who shows up here as the antagonist of this series, he was one of the baddies, one of the gorillas in uh, I think the second one. Hmm. So this is just tons of fun. It's a legal thriller. It's a, it's a political thriller. It's a, there's action adventure. It's wonderfully drawn by Gabe Hardman. To me, the most impressive thing was I knew the art was going to be great. He's one of my favorite artists. But how tightly it's written. Mm-hmm. I mean, and every aspect of it's interesting and, it, and it's, it's exciting and there's suspense. And, and real quick, the, uh, the color is really good, too. Yes. It's Jordi Belair. It's really good. And it brings a lot to Gabe's pencils, which are already fantastic. So hopefully people check it out. It's only an issue, two. It's a four-issue mini. Yes. And again, no knowledge needed. And I talked to Gabe Hardman about it, and, and he and Karina Betchko are going to do some more writing. They've had, they've had a lot of fun doing this, so they're going to write some more stuff together. They write so, it together. Yeah. It's not you take mm-hmm. part, like they, they sit down and they hash it out together, which is... Yeah, they're, they're a husband-wife team, so they, they're big Apes fans, and man, just so much fun. That's it's, it's, really... It's yeah. one of those things that like we always talk about, like if, if you can tell the creators are having fun and love what yes. they're doing, and and this is this is I I can guarantee you this is totally what that is. Absolutely, I think you can tell even in the art, the art's a bit elevated from what we normally see of Hartman, which mm-hmm. is great to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, but they love this story. Now the other book, the book that I actually sat down to write the review of, which ended up not happening, was Action Comics number four from Grant Morrison and Rags Morales on the main story, and Shawley Fish and Brad Walker. Uh, Brad Walker, I thought. Guardians of the Galaxy, I think, for a little while. Mm-hmm. I might be wrong. I thought this was the best issue since the first. I think it was my least favorite since the first. It really had me pumped up. I thought we got the most interesting Superman action we've had since the first issue. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the biggest drawback to the series has been the Rags art, which I thought was great. The first issue clearly had a lot of time to work on it, whereas the subsequent issues have felt a bit rushed. At least it's looked that way. This issue, I thought he was more on target from the first. The art was closer. There was a couple of parts where it was a bit wishy-washy. Mm-hmm. Oh, the first time we see John Henry, I thought it was Lex Luthor. I, I was, that was one of the things. There were a couple of basically s- storytelling and structural things that really threw me off. Yeah. And I got really confused by John Henry. I went back and forth several times. Like, what's going on time-wise? What am I looking at? Then I noticed the suit finally, and I was like, I, he needs to be more black. Or something. Yeah, there was a coloring issue. There's a couple of coloring issues, in there. but other than that, I'm... he also looks. I mean, the suit looks very similar to Corbin's suit, and yes. so there's some storytelling yes. issues there. There's some panel to panel stuff. Where... That was intentional, though, because they they both he designed both suits. Oh yeah, I, I understand, but it's just like there's I don't know. There should have been something more to put them apart. Yeah. And and just the panel to panel stuff. There were some things where I just I felt like I was missing a beat. And... Well, they did that thing where they cut basically to the back backup story. 
see what happens here. Go to the backup story. And then when they did the thing where the the part of of Metropolis was bottled, they were trying to save the reveal for the end. But what it did was give you like a page. You just didn't really know what was happening or what the point of it was, I think. What do you mean? I don't understand. I don't. So John Henry's fighting the. the, Corbin. Yeah, Corbin, the bad guy. And it's, oh, to see what happens with this fight, go there. And then, so then you cut, and apparently that fight's over, and then the the city gets sucked up, and and you don't really know what's happening. And he says, welcome to the collection. And then. Well, you do know what's happening. Brainiac's bottling the city. Well, I didn't know that. That's what Brainiac does. I realize that, but you shouldn't have to know that. I'm saying from a storytelling (laughs) standpoint, like, it was a little wonky. But, you know, Superman does have sexy Tim Riggins abs. Uh, in that one shot <laughs> no, and, and, and i do I, I agree that it's sort of awkward in the middle where you have the beginning of the fight between corbin and steel and then it just there's an editor's note and says to find out what happens read the rest of the book and then i like, recap two pages of it right which, see i didn't have a problem with that that seems to me a very classic comic book element and it's a way to keep the book out on time so both of those things are fine with me mm-hmm. if you want to grab morrison book to come out in time he's gonna have to write half the book and that's what they're gonna do to, to have it happen to me it was a perfect way to do it. We don't need to see the fight scene in the main story. The main story is about Superman. So we can cut away. I didn't mind it being split up between two creative teams. I just no. think that splitting it up like that in two parts and having an editor's note saying, you know, it's not, it's, this isn't like a magazine where you're reading an article and you want to jump to the back. It's a jarring break in the story. So I didn't find it because, again, that's, these, are, these are devices they've used in the past. So Well, I mean, just because they use it in the past doesn't mean that it should well, be capped, really. Well, <laughs> I don't, know that I don't it's a time I, I, I think there's nothing wrong with it. I think it works really well. If you want to jump, to the story to continue the fight you can do that if not you wait to the end the fight is steel story which is different than superman story so it's a different section of the book it's like when you have a crossover one character story happens in one book and the other character happens in the other book well if you're gonna buy your opinions at the toilet factory fine i mean that's <laughs> i love this issue i like the steel backup i should say I, yeah I, I liked the it's a nice character study and a good introduction for the character i just hope that that's not his final design yeah, because he looks a lot like cyborg and yeah and right down to like the you know he has a false eye Mm-hmm. And uh, people were saying on Twitter that, you know, he's got like an arc reactor like Iron Man or so mm-hmm. it's he doesn't have to be, you know, this like the Superman cape and the Superman shield or anything like that. But I kind of miss the mask, the silver mask, which doesn't yeah, he make gets, any sense. He gets all. punched by super powerful robot hands like in the chin. I'm like, that would kill him. I'm just <laughs> just saying there's nothing there's nothing to stop his head there. Also, I put a, a Johnny Cash song in my head. So the design's definitely not good. That's that it definitely needs to be improved. Now, it was interesting this week because we had Animal Man Swamp Thing. Number four, for the first time, really make it clear that they're about to cross over. And reading them back-to-back made for a very, I thought, satisfying time. Because Buddy in, in Animal Man and Alec in Swamp Thing being, revealing that about the rot and how the rot affects the green for Swamp Thing and the red for Animal Man. It's, uh, it's, it's great to have these in the, in the first week of the month and, and to be able to read them back-to-back, like you said. And it's, it's so cool to see this becoming really cohesive. And it's sort of like a minor event, small-scale event. And it's sort of the kind of event that you probably want after all these big, bombastic ones that involve so many titles. This is just sort of perfect, a nice little crossover. And yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's pretty simple. It's, you've got, you know, the red are, you know, like animals and the, the fleshy things, the, uh, the fauna. And then you've got the flora over with uh, Swamp Thing is the green. And then at the other end, you have the rot. So it's, it's a really simple dynamic. It's not nearly as complicated as something like Blackest Night with all the different emotional rings in the spectrum. And so I, I'm a big fan of it. I, th- I thought it read really nicely. If I'm just talking about like if I will just start with like going through Swamp Thing, like I was like I just sure. went straight through it. And, and I look back on it, lots of words, but I didn't really 
Like it just it just read really nicely, and I thought that the reveal at the end of what the Parliament of Trees wants him to do, and then followed by that panel of the of the two of them on the grass was pr- pretty sweet. You know, this is this is a beautiful page. Yeah, I know this isn't Yannick Paquette, but I, I think Marco Rudy did a did a fine job as a fill-in. So it's certainly stylistically, it, you know, he's pretty much trying to match that style, and and I, I didn't have any problem with it at all. I really dug it. And the ending was great, too. Yes. The villain they're fighting is Abigail's brother, who, I guess, reanimates dead things. Mm-hmm. As long as we keep away from dead things, we're fine. Cut to he's at the world's biggest slaughterhouse yeah. and has an <laughs> army of, you know, chopped up animals at his disposal. So Scott Snyder is is creepy. It's, um, it's, it's cool. They, they haven't really set up the parallel yet, but there's William Arcane is the kid in this creepy mask who's, like, allergic to, I think he's allergic to chlorophyll in the air. And that's why he has to wear the mask, and he's usually in a facility in like a like in a bubble, like sealed up, like John so how Travolta. How come he was able to take it off in the diner? I wasn't entirely sure. I guess it was enclosed, and there was air conditioner, maybe there's, because there's he no was, plants in a Texas diner. That's I don't what know what they're saying. Well, he was out in the desert, yeah. so and there's that. There's that. But the parallel is sort of there's him at the you know the evil end of the spectrum, and then Buddy's daughter is also able mm-hmm. to control necrotic flesh or reanimate animals like we saw in the first issue and uh, i wonder if those two will end up going head to head at some point i want to bring up two things about animal man that i thought were exemplary and i doubt that these are things that other people will have mentioned well the big head weird monster thing that Mm -hmm. was really great just that's creeped out i also thought that the drawing of buddy's wife's mom i was like wow that looks like somebody's mom it's true. Like in the middle of the night. And I never see that in comic books. <laughs> she's, and she's older and her hair's flat because she's been sleeping. And I was just like, that, that looks like somebody's mom woken up in the middle of the night. And I, you never see something that realistic in comic books. And I, I really appreciated that. I thought story-wise, Annalyn was great, but I thought the real story of this issue was Travel Foreman's art. Well, yeah. Beyond that, but just all the, all the creatures and all Buddy's body reacting, being in the red and flesh suit that this creature was wearing was trying to you know infiltrate Buddy's family. It was everything, the layouts when they reveal the secrets of the red, it's just, just the art is fantastic. It's, it's otherworldly and visceral. It doesn't look like anything else that's out there. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that makes it even more like creepy and kind of and cool and exotic looking. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of the style. It's it's really it's really cool to see the success of the conversations between these two creators in Snyder and Lemire, you know, and just to, to watch it all work out. And I think it, it add it's adding to both of their work. I don't know if that's exactly how it's working, but they said they you know they they talk a lot about this stuff. And uh, yeah, it's cool. Let's let's swing all the way to the other side of the spectrum. Reed Gunther is a different kind of comic book, I would say. <laughs> Reed Gunther number six, which I believe is the last of this this mini series part of it. Um, whether it comes back or not, I don't know. Reed Gunther. This was the origin of Reed Gunther. Who is Reed Gunther? Explain it to people who don't know. He is a cowboy whose best friend is a bear. He's everybody's favorite bear riding cowboy. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's exactly that's it. the pitch, and that's really and it's the origin of that. Yes. And if you have, yeah, if I mean, you can go out and you can grab the first five issues in Trey that just came out. I recently did a Don't Miss with the guys, uh, Chris and Shane Houghton, who do this together. And that trade is, a you know, one way to go. Or you can just pick up this issue, issue six, and it, it's sort of a, a one-shot, stands by itself. And, and it's, it's just the origin saying how the, these two met. This, it's this cowboy really good. It's a bear, yeah. And I, and I say um, that, like, as an all-ages book that isn't using anything uh, salacious or anything like that, like... It's just really well constructed and fun. It's just it's just a ton of fun. There's this ongoing mustache gag through the whole thing and the conceit of this reality as it exists where you can meet a bear and then, you know, 
he will befriend that bear. Yes, and and then <laughs> and there's there's some supernatural elements. There's some ghost coyotes mm-hmm. in it. Um, the coyotes are sad. And yeah, I agree with you on that. Just it's 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 really well constructed. And there's a great page where he talks about how uh, he grew up on a farm and he was no good at any of it. Mm-hmm. And there's all these great beats, and it's sort of like a montage of him being bad at being a farmer. And like one of them's just like he's sweeping outside and he backs the butt of the broom into the window and breaks the glass and he sets fire to the barn by accident apparently and (laughs) he's just really bad at it it's a very sweet issue because he wants to be just like his dad who looks a lot like him as an adult and so he gets a fake mustache and you know eventually he you know wants to get his own mustache and that's part of you know being a a, a good hero in the west what's guff and uh what's what's what is guff Guff? he finds out what guff is it's it's just a totally fun issue and I, i i swear to more people need to read this the you problem just, is it's, the, it's the so problem is fun. that the, the all ages books are they're not meant for the direct market. I don't I don't mm-hmm. I don't I don't give a shit. People no, well, yeah. and the, the guys actually said they took off the all ages banner from the book because retailers would put it with their all ages section and not with the regular, you know, general audience section of the comic store. That's why all ages books will never succeed. And that's why people so they took that off and now they ask people to put it in the uh, the regular section with everything else. It's good comic booking. Is, is mm-hmm. my point, just from a standpoint very, very of a good. great comic book. There was news this week that Stormwatch, a series that has a great deal of potential as being written by Paul Cornell, will no longer be written by Paul Cornell. I don't know if this series has hit its stride yet, and I think now that Cornell's leaving, I, I don't know if it will have a chance to, but I'll be honest, I was buying it more on the promise of what was to come because I liked parts of it and I liked where it was going. And the story on this one was totally fine, but I gotta say, I was really, I'd had enough of the production on this issue within a couple of pages. Like, it was just a colorist just going nuts with the Photoshop effects. And even the lettering, it, like, it was just too much. It was they're throwing all this stuff at it. And I don't even know what the actual pages maybe looked like before this happened. But it was like, just, just it was no restraint. It was just, well, if you, if you look at an industry where Dave Stewart wins Eisner for the best colorist every single year, be more like that. It's a, it's a good model. You know, and I'm not saying that, you know, it all has to look the same or something, but it was just like, I'm just looking at it like, this is too much. As Alex Sinclair is on the colors, he did Blackest Night. So, you know, and it was, that, was, that was fine. It was good. But I just was reading this and I was just like, it's all, there's too many lens flares and electronic zappies and things like that. Visually, even before the colors, I mean, that's it's kind of a busy book. I mean, there's yeah, a lot going that's on. True. There's a lot of characters and, and, and that are designed. I think that there is a bit of a, a choice being made there, a stylistic choice to sort of keep it that way. But it's not it's not working for me. Uh, in that sense, I, th- I think the thing about the only thing about this book that I don't like is that I think that the characterizations of the Stormwatch guys that I am familiar with are spot on. It's great. It really works. But there's some of the characters who were, I guess, made up for this. And I, I, I don't have a concept of who they yeah. are because it's moving I so think fast. This, this team needed to be two or three members lighter. And again, John Jones, when we first saw he was going to be there, great idea. I don't know what he's just standing there a lot of the times. Yeah, he had a line in this one. Yeah. Just when I was thinking, what's he still doing there? And this issue was fun for the Midnighter and and yep. uh, Apollo stuff. Yes. I thought they were all that, every scene they were in was great. Mm-hmm. But the, for the rest, I don't know. The, I don't know their names. I don't know what they do. I'm enjoying it, and I'm sad to see Paul Cornell go. I, and I, I agree I too. Stay on afterwards. Yeah, it's just it's a series that needed to lay a lot of pipe because it's so complex and it's such a departure and it's bringing together so many disparate elements and stuff from DC and stuff from Wildstorm and, and it's just unfortunate that there's with all the other books it's vying for attention with there's just not that allowance of time to to get there really. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I don't mean, know. I, gives, I, I was it, really excited about it when it was announced. And I was yeah. like, this is a really great concept. This could be, you know, a great sort of counterpoint to the Justice League. And, and it's not um, bad. I, I don't want to get it that way. I just think that another direction in the art might have been a better call. I, it's like this weird lower tier version of Brian Hitch. And yes, that's, it's, that's a, yeah. it's not working for me. I don't know. But I mean, the thing that I came here for, the stuff that I really wanted was Apollo and Midnighter. And and even Jack Hawksmore and I do get Jack's that. Jack's a great character too. Oh, he's he's wonderful. And I think and there was a little part in this where they all like they realize there's a city, they raise the city up, and they all f- go find their thing to do. And I was like, that's it. You know, like there's there's enough of the really good things in this that I that I I'm gonna keep reading it. You know, uh, as long as Paul Cornell's writing, I'm not going to keep reading it after Paul Jenkins is writing it though. Go ahead and guarantee that one. Graphically, iFanboy is part of the Graphically family, and Graphically is a digital comic book provider with over 5,000 comic books from over 250 publishers. Anybody you want is on there from Marvel to Boom, from Narcaea, Image, Top Cow, Archie. Name a publisher, Josh. Top Shelf. On there. Name somebody else. Slave Labor Graphics. I just did one today. Yes, they're on there too. Anyone else? I could name you dozens of them, Connor. Red 5, they're on there. Everyone's on there. Red 5. 12 Gauge. Boom. On there. Top Gal. So we got more exciting stuff to come. New publishers, more comics, new uh, app improvements every day. Something's happening at Graphically. You can read comics on, your, on the web, on your iPhone, on your iPad, on an Android phone, on your tablet device. All Everywhere you can read a comic, we, Graphically is there. We got the iOS 5 newsstand where you can subscribe to books like The Walking Dead or Invincible or Savage Dragon or Redeemable. There'll be more books coming out on the, on the newsstand soon. You can just subscribe and they, a new issue appears on your phone or your device without even having to do anything. You can get Walking Dead on the Nook from Barnes & Noble or Android devices like the Amazon store where you can get on the Amazon Fire. All kinds of stuff happening at Graphically. Check it out at graphically.com. Uh, One of the things you can get at Graphically is Irredeemable from Boom Studios. And you certainly can. And that I would be thought a going into this call. week that Irredeemable would be contender for pick of the week. This is the origin issue of the Plutonian. This is the first, of, the official beginning of the crossover with. Um, uh, I was going to say irascible for some reason. I don't know. Why <laughs> that should be next, the next title. Irrepressible. <laughs> Irrepressible. What is it called? Un- incorruptible. Right. I got all the other IR words in my head, and I can't get them out. But I thought this was a little slow and heavy on stuff I wasn't really all that thrilled about. I actually really liked it. Did you know that this book actually leads the industry in killing babies? Yes. <laughs> and there was some trademark stuff in there, and there was good stuff. I, mean, I didn't hate it, but having read you know the last four or five issues, I thought there was a lot of really exciting things building to this point, and we just sort of slowed way down, mm-hmm. which isn't always a bad thing, but in this case, wasn't what I was looking for from Irredeemable. Especially cool. the cover where Plutonian's flying straight at max damage. Oh, the covers know. were very good looking, but I thought that they were bad. Did you see the, the Dan Panosian cover? I saw it in the store, and I was like, that looks awesome. Too bad nobody would have any idea what it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it doesn't say Irredeemable on it. It doesn't have a number on it. It doesn't. It's all in the back. I actually picked yeah. it up and looked at it, and I was like, because the art's great. The design's yeah. wonderful. But Everything from the covers indicates, here we go, Plutonium and Max uh-huh. Damage, and there's, there's just nothing about it. I guess it. I'm cool because I've been enjoying Incorruptible so much as well. No, it's been and- great, too, but that's the thing. It's been all been leading to this point, and what we got was Plutonian's birth parents, who were those creatures that were released in the last issue, from Japan, mm-hmm. taking him on a tour of his origin, which is fine. Just, it wasn't the issue I was looking for. When I think the, the thing about Mark Wade that he, he always impresses me is if he's going to explain some comic book shit to you, it's going to hold together. He's going to explain some comic book shit. Yeah, and, and it's going to be like, it's not going to be half-assed. No, I, I thought the segment where we saw how his wife, I mean his wife, his fucking wife, his mom uh, was crazy and was trying to kill him multiple mm-hmm. times and couldn't. She set him on fire. She tried to poison him. Um, that was that was sort of trademark Mark Wade. That is effed up. Yeah. 
I mean, that's like, oh, there's a baby playing with toys in the yard on fire because she's and she's holding a gas can and a match. That was <laughs> that was really fucked up. But just overall, it wasn't really what I was looking for. That's just wow. No, I yeah, it won me over. I was totally cool with that. Five lions. So when do you, when do you Voltron, get Voltron? Number one, did, Paul, did you read Voltron? Yeah, Voltron was fun. Just, I, I, I read it on Graphically, actually. It's exactly what you want a Voltron book to be, I think. Well, it's funny because um, the kid, Voltron, and uh, Paul, this was before you were born. So. This, this would be this be before my time, but I have some older cousins, so uh, we played with the, the metal version of Voltron Dude, before so they had to rubberize him. You'll cut your fingers dangerous toy. Yeah, we had yeah. The, those toys were metal and, and dangerous. And anyway, Voltron number one, Voltron was a huge property. It was a Japanese property, I think, that was brought over to the U.S. in the 80s. And it was huge amongst me. Me and my friends, uh, there was a cartoon. There were toys. It was it's it's these five soldiers who fly these lion vehicles that all form Voltron when they, they come together. And he's a giant soldier with a giant sword. I don't know where the sword ever came from, or why you want lion faces as hands. But we'll get beyond that. This issue is a little different than what you're, you're used to. There's there's a war going on. The war we the war we used to against Prince what's his name Prince Zarkon. Zarkon. Oh, that's and. But in this case, the, the pilots aren't flying the lions, which was weird. It was like Voltron was fighting this creature, but the, the, the pilots were on the ground. It was sort of like rem- like remote stuff. And the, the guy who, uh, the black, like the black lion guy yeah. looked like Kyle Chandler with anime hair. So that was kind of interesting. But it was like, it, there was like a big kaiju battle. And yeah. it takes place, it opens in 2124. And so there's this big battle and, and Voltron's not doing so well and some buildings are getting knocked down and there's some stuff on the ground with like they're trying to evacuate the city. And then uh, the second half is a flashback to 2012, I think. Yeah, well, and, the second half is the big twist in this issue, which yeah. is the flashback to 2012. This unknown doctor has been abducted by the government. He's taken to the secret location where he talks to President Obama, who you assume is President Obama with the back of his head. You see the back of his head in his ear. And uh, he's told that they've discovered aliens. The aliens are coming for us. They've already attacked it. They covered it up as a terrorist attack. And we need a program to fight these aliens, which you presume will be the Voltron program. So they build fucking and, lions? But the big twist is that it's Dr. Zarkon. So Dr. Zarkon is responsible for probably for the Voltron program in 2012. So that's the big twist. I want to see a yeah, spin-off then, of the Voltron program that's all about the sort of bureaucracy between, between it, behind starting and keeping lions. it running. The second half, there's like a grid for the pages and it's like a lot of, this, it's the same angle, talking heads and like it's, it gets like, you know, political and stuff and I, I'm interested in where it's going and I, and I really, I, I did like the arc for the Voltron battle scenes. No, it was fun. Um, it was a solid book. I enjoyed yeah. it. It hugged on my eight-year-old heartstrings. I saw Pidge and I saw Hunk. And I saw Lance, and you know, I haven't thought about this, these characters in years. Is there a corporation that would like somehow it would be like a pork barrel thing that they would then they would be like, well, what if you made them into lions? And they were because they were talking to the MGM Grand or something like that. It's possible. We'll find out. Hopefully, hopefully the backup will feature lots of meetings about why why lions over tigers. And you know, Alex Ross drawing Voltron covers kind of it's kind of fun. Third consecutive issue in a row that Last of the Greats has been better than the one before it. First one I thought was pretty good. I liked it. It was all right. Second one I liked a lot more. And the third one, the dude arranges uh, a shag session with Oprah. Which, why not? I like the woman. I, arrange for me to have intercourse with her. That's this a moment. This is basically another bad Superman story, right? It's a little more complicated than that, but in a way, yes. You mean evil Superman story now? Yeah, sort of. I mean, like the, the like idea being quality. that... Well, not like bad outfit. <laughs> Say, cat. <laughs> Does he call him Jim? No, he calls him Jim. Say, yeah. Jim. That is a bad outfit. Why do they call him Jim? Woo! Was that like an urban thing in the 70s? Yes. yes. Don't you remember from movies and stuff? Uh, <laughs> from uh, movies and stuff. Well, I, what else would he know it from? He lived in Maine. We did have the exact same television as you did. That's what I'm saying. Oh, I see what you're it's saying. Like you were walking around the... Because the, 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 there know, are no black people where I grew up? No cities. I there, don't was that, right. there was that so, one uh, guy. Uncomfortable. So, he, so he bangs <laughs> Oprah? 
I, I assume so. He, he arranged okay, it. It's sort of whatever he that. says he wants, he gets. There are definitely shades of irredeemable to it. It's got a different sort of setup around and it has a different voice going through it. There is definitely a weird sense of humor going on that, that's that been put into it. It's, it's it, was, it was really fun. And then there's a big twist at the end that, that's more effed up stuff. So it's good. I'm upset about Venom because it had Tony Moore on it and I really like Tony Moore. And then, they t- then he couldn't keep up with it or whatever. I don't know why. And then Tom Fowler was on it. And I was like, okay, I'm happy. I'm fine with it. And then now he He's off of it, and they brought on Land Medina, and I wasn't going to buy it, and then I picked it up, and I was like, all right, it looks all right. It's not it's not Tom Fowler, Tony Moore, but it does a good job, and it's basically a big fight between Venom and Captain America, and it's it's drawn really fun, and, and one of the things I like about this is that Remender has a, a really good sense of the character, and the whole time, he's keeping track of the fact that Venom, or Flash Thompson, realizes that he's fighting Captain America, and that's a bad idea. Sometimes there's that superhero misunderstanding where they fight each other, and everyone's like, oh, come on, this wouldn't happen. Like, it was justified, and just, I appreciate that. Just sometimes? Yeah, most of the time. <laughs> it happens a lot. I think in, in Captain America, it happens a lot, too. Yeah. Like, yeah, Captain America fights with everybody. Recently and... Yeah, which was right. And it, like when I read that, and listen, I really, I really like that book. It's more, maybe one of the best things out uh, from Marvel. Oh, but Daredevil, was, yeah, definitely. But that was kind of a weak, like, why are they fighting? This doesn't make any, it's always Captain America has got to be forthright. I don't want to do this. But in this one, it made more sense. So that was good. Connor, run down the top five. Let's see how you did. If you go to ifanboy.com, you can go to the ifanboy.com slash comics. You can find there the week's worth of books. You can make your pull list. You can rate and review them and make your own pick of the week. And the top five Picks of the week on ifanboy.com. First, Betrayal of Planet of the Apes, number two, which was the ifanboy pick of the week, was number eight on the list. But number five was a tie between Swamp Thing, number four, and the Defenders, number one, with 4.7% of the picks of the week. Number four was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, micro series Raphael, number one, with 5.6%. And a lot of people like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series. That's good. Number three was Avenging Spider-Man, number two, with 6.8%, which we're not going to talk about, but it was lots of fun. Not as much fun as the first one, but still fun. Number two was Hellblazer Annual, number one, with 8.9%. And number really? one was Animal Man, number four, with 45.4% of the picks of the week. And we are Can't not representative that? of the larger comic book market. <laughs> no, that's just the community. Now, if you go to ifanway.com, as I said, you, you can write reviews, and we'd like to read a couple from the show. The first is from Kingdom of Evan, who reviewed Cold War, number three, and gave a story of four out of five, and the art of four out of five, and nobody made it the pick of the week. And Kingdom of Heaven says, more than just a good spy story, this book is pretty great vehicle porn as well. We get car chase where every rim and rivet of the classic cars are shown in vivid detail. We get a ride through snowy Russia on a vintage steam train. Oh, we get Michael Swan, who we don't know much about other than the fact that he shoots to kill and leaves heartbreak behind him. But what what more do you need to know? It's definitely a well-executed tale on the tried-and-true formula of a manly spy and a love-hate relationship with a sexy Russian counterpart, Bronx Sampson, anyone. Jolly good fun. What is this book? This is uh, Is the John John Byrne Byrne thing? Yeah. What I find fascinating is that John Burns, say what you will about him, constantly putting out a wide variety of books. From he did who? a Star Trek book for a while. This is an IDW book. Huh, he did a Star yeah. Trek book for a while. He did a Jurassic Park book for a while. He did uh, Next Men for a while. Did, now did he do Spock. Angel? He did an Angel book for a while. He's all over the place. I find that fascinating. You can get it. There's a really good trade. I got last Christmas is uh, Bones from Star Trek, like Frontier Doctor. And it's just like wacky, good fun. Yeah. Still got it? I liked. It. I mean, it's it's very of his era, but right. it's good. I just find it, I find it great that he's doing so many different kinds of books, which is something that people don't do these days. I'm, I'm glad. I am glad he's still working. Mm-hmm. I think that's cool. Closet squirrel red. <laughs> he won't tell anyone he's a squirrel. Uh, red <laughs> defenders number one gave the story a a one out of five and gave the art a three out of five. Pick of the week percentage is a four point seven percent. So obviously, some people disagreed. I can simply review this issue with one word: meh. 
I can't believe I read that out loud. My anticipation was off the charts for this book, if only for Iron Fist. Upon seeing Danny Rand turned into basically a blonde Tony Stark, I almost got violently ill and had to step back, drink some water, and pet a kitten, or else rage consumed me. After the hour-long bout of pumping myself back up, I jumped back in to find your typical this your typical first issue, team-building book, horrible threat appears, hero can't handle alone, builds team, credits. I will continue with this book for, for a couple more issues and hope that <laughs> I can't. I hope I can stomach it. But at this point, it doesn't look good. Well, it doesn't look good as the art is the only reason it got bumped up to two stars. But if I wanted good art, I'd go to my local museum and stare at a turn of the century expressionist paintings. I want to both agree and disagree with a lot of this. All right. Go for it. I didn't read it for one thing. Okay. <laughs> but I'm not. Well, no, I'm not going to. I, I have Matt Fraction. Just, in, and, just and I, in principle, there are certain things. Well, if I want good art, I'll go to museum. No, no. We we have the best artists in the world. Working we do at not books. support museums. No, I hate museums. They don't. Who's who's working there? Oh, no. Good good art's important to comic books, but you know it's up to you. But if you if, if you don't like it, I you know I, I guess I guess if you want to keep going with it, you can. But I I, I don't get that. And also, meh. Come on, we can do better. It's, than it's that. very much the comic book fan mentality to continue to read a book they don't like, mm-hmm. hoping it'll get better or whatever reason. And then it's they just... get mad about it. I've like, done it. We've all done it. That's Everyone's your, oh, done it. Yeah, I've done it. Everyone's yeah. done it. I've it's done our it. mentality. We should stop. If you want to write a review, go to icon.com slash comics. Make your pull list, rate and review your books. And if you write a good one, we'll get it on the show and you'll be on the show. You'll be part of the entertainment. That's what the show is. It's entertainment. It's, that's all. For that's someone. All, that's all it we're is. We're trying to find that person. Once we find that person who's entertained by the show. My mom gave up. She didn't think things entertaining. That's what <laughs> I know. Let's do a couple of emails. Our first email is from Jordan from Windsor, Canada. Jordan says, I have a question about the new DC-52. Since all the books started in the same months and most of them seem to be followed in standard six-issue arc, I feel like all my books are reaching the same beats at the same time. For instance, in four or five books, people are all simultaneously getting the drop on Batman and most other characters are in trouble as all the third issues begin to roll out. This doesn't bother me from a continuity standpoint, but it is weird that all my DC books are climaxing couldn't see a way around that, sorry. At the same time, this has, along with the reduced price, had me push back about half my titles to digital one month later. Have any of you guys found this to be happening, and what do you think about it? And I know, Josh, you mentioned the first issue syndrome where everything seemed the same. Yeah. I have to admit, I haven't noticed. I, was I haven't either. You would say, of, it makes sense that that would happen, but I haven't really noticed it. I haven't noticed what he's talking about. By the end of that first month, I was sick of reading first issues because it felt like in comics there are only so many ways to do a first issue, and I just read too many of them. It was it was the same thing over and over. It felt like just uh, too many introductions for me to take over the course of one month, and I'm sure that Legion had something to do with that. That was also a special case we read. Yeah. Two. Oh no, totally. It's crazy. No one should do that. I mean, but yeah. like uh, I, I haven't felt that because I don't feel I like the books are paced at the at the same way. But also, I like. I didn't read a lot of the next books, so, I mean, I don't know how many of them you're still There's reading. There's that, and then, I mean, they announced sort of rolling out in 2012 all the different hardcovers and trade paperbacks and, like, how many issues were in each, and the numbers weren't the same across the board. Mm-hmm. So there are some, I think there are some five-story... Yeah, there are. I've um, actually noticed that, that some of the arcs are five arcs. Yeah, five-issue stories or six or, you know, I think there was one with, like, seven or something that was going to be in a hardcover. I could be I could be wrong, but I don't know. What what would help here if this is a problem for people? Should have some delays. <laughs> delays would help. Have um, some delays. It's comics. Give it time. I mean, DC that's going to happen. Very very intent on well, not uh, delaying the books. You, it's, no, and that's totally true. And and that's where you're getting your fill in artists. And you're really seeing that a lot of modern artists really can't keep up with a, a monthly schedule, which is not. I'm not it, 
going, you know, I'm not Discussion downing time. them for that, but you're going to see fill-ins and things like that to keep it going. I think it's really interesting because eventually with the numbers, you're going to see which books fell behind because it'll be yeah, the one yeah. that yeah. is a different number that month. <laughs> I think uh, another solution is to either not read all the DC books in a block. One reason I think I have noticed is because I'm reading as many non-DC books a week as I am reading DC books. Pace them out. I haven't seen email. it. But I can see why it could be a problem. When I read this email, I thought of Josh's first month problem. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure. If you want to write an email, write us into contact.fanboy.com and we can get your email on the show. Let's, we got a lot of voicemails this week. We put the call out for more. We, you really responded. So we're going to do a couple here. The uh, first one has actually got a question about the scheduling. <laughs> that just makes it sound so. <laughs> Ooh, scheduling. Counting <laughs> is next. Hey, guys. This is Jeff from Indianapolis. Boomatastic on the site. I have a question about double shipping. Marvel is doing a lot of double shipping with their books, especially their marquee books. I get why they're doing it. My question is, what usually determines for you guys what what books you don't? How do things make cut? How do they not? And how do you feel about this double shipping thing? Does it is it killing you? Is it hard to drop books that you would drop because of price? Anyway, let me know. Okay, so there's two questions he's got here, basically. Well, let's take the second one first, which is, how do we feel about Marvel's new strategy to double ship the popular books? I don't like it for the most part. I read a lot of books and, and that's fine. Uh, but I am on a budget about it. So like I'm cool with it once a month. I'm happy with that. And when it starts to get more than some, I don't know if sometimes, sometimes it, if it's really good, then it's not as big of a deal. I've been okay with it with something like venom. I know that you guys have been fine with it for uncanny X force, but I could see both sides of it. I could definitely it's, drop off something if it's sort of just like, okay, enough of these all the time. It, it, you're using up everything you've got just cause yeah, I like we, something doesn't mean I want to, I want to have it constantly. <laughs> We have a, a skewed perspective because, like, this is our this is our thing. This is our mm-hmm. gig. Yeah, and I and I can definitely empathize with the people who they have to keep a tight comic budget, and this is not their job. This is you know this is a hobby, and especially when it comes to Marvel books where it's three ninety nine twice a month. I mean that's it adds up. You, I mean, people have had I mentioned on Twitter they have to drop you know certain books that they like, not even books that are like you know on the bubble. They're books that they like, and they it just. The, the numbers don't, you know, fudge, right? So mm-hmm. you just have to drop something. So have either um, of you dropped a book because it's double shipped? No, not specifically, but I've dropped a lot of Marvel books. So I don't really right. know. I'm only reading a few Marvel books at this point. I dropped Avengers because I was just, it was just too much Avengers. I don't think Avengers are double shipped. I realize it's that, but it was... multiple Avengers books. Right. The only ones I can think of I'm reading are FF and Uncanny X-Force. If I've dropped anything that double ships, it's usually just because it's, I would have dropped it anyway, even if yeah. it was monthly. It's just the quality isn't where I want it to be, or just it's not something I'm interested in right now. X Factor, I'm X Force. Excuse me. Are they all double shipping? I mean, is that X Force? I'm, I'm committed to Uncanny X Force. Thun- is Thunderbolts uh, been double shipping? I think it has, and I've been reading that, that just wouldn't, fine. That wouldn't jive with their strategy. Oh. They're only doing it with their popular books. Okay, I just feel like it's been coming um, out. I don't know. It often. might be. I'm just saying. I don't. I don't. It wouldn't make sense. I mean, we got we got sort of an advanced look at the first Ultimate Spider-Man to do a, a review of it. Oh, Ultimate uh, Spider-Man, isn't it? It was in the beginning. Ultimate Comic Spider-Man. It will. It was. Uh, I, I I dropped. I could. I, I stopped following that just because it was so expensive. And I do think that was at first. It was. It was double shipping. It was the first. It, I wonder if they fell behind because it was the, the intention was to double ship the first arc. And mm-hmm. and I mean, really, it was just like the, at the rate they're putting this out, the collection will be coming out soon. And uh, I really like what I've read so far, so I'm going to want this as a collection. So I'll just wait. They should do is double ship everything, so when they're late, they actually become monthly. <laughs> <laughs> I want Connor at the boardroom in Marvel. He goes, <laughs> guys, check this shit out. <laughs> like abacus. And, uh, and then he dropped he dropped the mic boom walk out <laughs> joe casada right. just goes fucking genius all right the next voicemail is talking about comics without or whatever 
<laughs> no <laughs> pictures. Borders. Comics without borders, like doctors, but with words. Hey, Josh, Ron, and Connor. This is Wes from Orlando, Florida. Um, now, I know that there's a lot of comic book writers who, on the side, um, they write prose novels. And I was just wondering, um, have you ever read any of those? And uh, if so, maybe which writers and which prose novels did you like? Uh, thanks for all your hard work. Love the show. Take care. Well, I tell you, there's a lot of good choices here. And I mean, there's, there's some popular ones like Greg Rucka, who's done his own sort of crime books. And he's got some more coming out from Mulholland, which is where a couple of, of the comics guys are doing stuff. I think Warren Ellis is going to be coming out with a, two or three books from there. Rucka Dwayne Straczynski's big. Rucka does um, fun action prose. He does. And he's also, I mean, he's done the adaptation of No Man's Land, which mm-hmm. was fun. A little dense, but uh, it's 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 still good stuff. I'm a big fan of, I don't know if this necessarily counts, I'm a big fan of Joe Hill's Heart Shaped Box and Horns is the most recent one. Sure. Uh, he, he writes uh, Lock and Key. I guess he was a novelist first, and then he got into comics, but I'm going, like, he he's not, I don't think he's just like a, you know, crossover, like, you know, like just doing this on a lark kind of thing because he's really good at writing comics and writing prose. So I would recommend those. Also a big fan of Scott Snyder's prose short story collection that came out a few years ago called Voodoo Heart. There's some steampunk in there. There's some like regular literary fiction in there. Um, Just a great batch of stories. And he's a creative writing teacher at a university as well. So he knows what he's doing. I generally gravitate towards the crime stuff, so look at places like Mulholland for stuff like that, for Swarzynski and Rucka. And Paul, I wonder what you would think. I wonder what you would think of Mike Carey's books. They're supernatural. Oh, yes. they're, they're yeah, PI stories. I, I actually, I have the, I have the first one of those. Um, I haven't gotten to it yet. I've read but, them both. Uh, I enjoyed them. I enjoyed them more than I've enjoyed his comic stuff. I'll tell you what, yeah, I'm not going to read. Like, Alan Moore's yeah. Jerusalem. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be. It's like. Uh, it's like that book that. Michael, they're from Wonder Boys. That Michael huge, Chabon? Yeah. Michael Chabon, oh, yeah. okay. I was going to say Michael yeah. Douglas, but... He was in the movie. I realize that, but that's my image of the book is that the book he can't stop writing. Right. It's that, that giant the, thing. Alan Morris has been working counts. on Jerusalem. He wrote for, a comic. He wrote a, he wrote a Justice Society comic and that's, was trying to get a Fantastic Four movie off the thing, but uh, I would, I would Clay... I would go ahead and call him a novelist. Yeah, that's a novelist. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say that he's a Pulitzer Prize winning It's like novelist. Brad Meltzer. He's still a novelist. He, yeah. he wrote a comic Ooh. series for a while. but That Ooh. one. He's a great TV not, host. I did not like the most recent novel he did. Oh, uh, his most recent one wasn't very good. I, it was, it, and it's about, um, it's about Schuster? Or? Yeah, yeah, Superman. Yeah, and uh, I did not get very far in that. I know he's, a comic book writer who wrote a novel who's excellent. Really? Yeah. We'll talk about that after this next voicemail, <laughs> which is novel. about things that are special to us, like our novels. Hi, Ag Fanboy. This is Chuck from North Carolina with a question. I was just wondering, when you think about all of your comic books and comic book paraphernalia, are there a couple of things that kind of hold a special place for you? It could be a comic, could be statue, could be some artwork. For me, it would be a copy of a uh, an old Captain America comic that my wife found for me from the uh, year that I was born. And another one would be a um, the 600 uh, you know, issue of Captain America that uh, Ed Brubaker signed, and he signed it that it made it look like Captain America was shouting my name. So just a couple of things that for me kind of hold a special place, and I was wondering what those would be for you. Thanks. When you first asked this, I was like, I don't know. And then I started looking around, and I was like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've got a couple of original pages that really mean a lot to me. I have a patron box office poison that I bought a long time. It's actually the pen and it is fading. 
and uh, I really like it. And like, it's just, it was the thing I bought years ago and I know Alex now and he, he sees it and he's like, oh, that's awful. Let me replace it. I was like, no way, dude. I love that book. I have a, a Green Lantern Darwin Cook figure that Connor gave me. It's I just love that thing. It's so cool. Oh, it's a great figure. It's That's a great really figure. Cool. I look at it every day. It's really cool. I have this Beta Ray Bill action figure that I bought Ooh. in college, and it's still on my bookshelf. It's just the coolest looking action figure. It's just like like it's a it's a great one. I have just a couple of sketches. The first sketch that Walt Simonson ever uh, first sketch I ever got was a Walt Simonson Thor sketch that's been on my wall since then. Very uh, jealous. I, of I that. treasure those things very. I much. thought you were going to say his first sketch ever. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I will, I, yeah, it was. I I really like this. I have some other pages of stuff that that means a lot. But I have a f- page from uh, issue number one of Transmetropolitan that I love very much. Also, I as well have a lot of original pages. Uh, well, not a lot of original uh, sketches. Mostly, um, I have a Dan Hip Thor over my desk. Let's see, action figures. I've got a I've got a Wildcat and a, a Doctor Midnight with his owl. <laughs> Mister Miracle. I like weird characters. Let's see, original art. I just got some. I got two pages. It's actually four pages, but they're on two sheets of regular printer paper. Moritat's Spirit, which I got at uh, New York Comic Con. This year, uh, signed by the artist too. But I'll say I have a Gabriel Hardman uh, Agents of Atlas page, a McKelvey Avengers splash page with all the Avengers on it. One of the last like hand drawn pages that he's done because he's switched to digital. So that's very cool. And I have a little like sort of. I'm just naming cool stuff. And I have a Snoopy figurine. It's like a Snoopy on his typewriter on uh, his doghouse, which is like a little block calendar. You switch the the blocks around to change the day and the month. And that's for my my mom for my birthday. So I keep that on my desk. And I love that. So that's that's the big thing. I want to know what Connor's going to say. I like my alias omnibus because you can't get it for less than 300 bucks. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I have art stuff, but like I'm trying to think of comic stuff because he was talking about comics. And I don't... Well, yeah, but that's not worth. I, mean. I know, but oh, like comic any? Yeah, I thought she'd be like hmm. emotional. Like shooter. the only thing I think is that our good friend Tad Stones was going through his comics. He was getting rid of a bunch of them, and he sent me. Yep. Uh, he had the Tales to Astonish fifty. It was the first appearance of Hawkeye. I have that, and he sent it. It was just one of the nicest gifts ever. Yeah, that's no, I, cool. I, I have some old books. I haven't thought about them, so I don't know. I mean, some, somebody else sent me Fantastic Four with the first appearance of the Inhumans. Like, the, I they're both in terrible shape, but I don't care because they're cool. Yeah. I have those old Captain Americas I got on an auction that were cool. The first ever issue of a Captain America. Oh yeah, those are cool. They're Jack Kirby. So those are. I mean, I have like the. I have like a Jeff Lemire, Jonah Hex. He did. It was as his pitch to do a issue, which at the time they, he got rejected. So at the oh, yeah, time yeah. it was supposed to be the only Jeff Lemire Jonah Hex drawing, but then he did. He did get an issue, which you know whatever makes it less valuable to you. I set it on fire now. <laughs> I have. Uh... I have Inhumans number one signed by Jay Lee and Paul Jenkins. Let's see for signed stuff. I don't have a lot. I just have a, I have a Batman number three from Scott Snyder because um, I like that issue well, a whole lot. Yeah, I, don't know, I mean, I think there's a lot of different ways you can just you can have a stuff autograph, which I don't tend to do anymore. Or you can yeah. issues that mean a lot to you or, or memorabilia, which like the like the sketches of the pages or statues or whatever. I really like my Frank Whiteley Batman statue. I don't buy statues, but it's the only one I've ever bought. It's a good statue. If you're gonna get one, that's that's one to get. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there you go. We get we a lot of crap. I have more crap than I really want to have. But uh, if uh, you want to call, leave a voicemail eight 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 fanboys three two six two six nine seven. Keep it around thirty seconds. Tell us your name, where you're from, and uh, good job, everybody. This week we yeah, had really can... great voicemails. We had so many good ones. We had to cut them, you know, down for the show length. But keep calling in. On the website, you will see this week that uh, we had a post up about Art.com's Tintin collection, and I know that this will 
excite you two very much. There's all these prints mm-hmm. that they're doing, poster size and print size of uh, classic Hergé covers of uh, Tintin. They're just some great posters. And I love that it, it can straddle a line between fanboy memorabilia and just sort of cool art to have up in your house because it's sort of retro and, and, and cool looking. and uh, Different there's languages. A, there's a shark submarine. Is it? That's a really cool. It's one. great. So go check that stuff out, man. There's some really you can get frame prints and posters and all sorts of stuff. And they have set us up with a fifty dollars gift certificate for one of our iFanboy members. We haven't given anything away to the members in a little while, so we are going to give a gift certificate to Andrew T. Kerrigan, who has won. And and uh, I'll I'll set you up with a code that you can uh, go get something from art.com and uh, everyone else should go check out that Tintin collection because it's pretty rad, uh, really cool. <laughs> There's a great bar in New York City that's a Belgian bar, and they've got Tintin art on the walls, original pages. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Wow. I like to, I like to go there wow. and have a, have a uh, duvel and we'll look at the art, and then all of a sudden I'm drunk because that Belgian beer is strong. Yeah, yeah. And a waffle. They love waffles. They do. Apparently. That's all they eat. If you are eating a waffle and thinking about what it is you're going to pick up on Wednesday, you want to check out our Don't Miss podcast. This Monday we'll be talking to Kieran Gillen about Jim number 630. Journey into Mystery. I call it Jim because I know him. I know Jim. We should give all the books just regular names. Yeah. Jim. I just always see Jim. I'm like, what the hell is that? Oh, it's Journey into Mystery. It's, uh, so we, we think it's 632. It's the next one sequentially. Yeah, the one that was the last one. Uh, Kieran's going to be talking about the new one. And, and Ron, he likes it now. So there. It's a good book. It's very good. Yep. We wanted to mention quickly the holiday schedule. Holidays are coming up, Christmas and New Year's. And if you've been a long-time listener, you know that usually we take uh, one of those weeks off from the Pick League podcast to do our all-media show. We're not quite sure what we're going to do yet because both Christmas and New Year's this year are on Sunday, which is when the shows come out, which means... The recording time would be right before Christmas and New Year's, which is tough on us and our families. So we're not sure yet. We're still discussing what the holiday schedule is going to be. We're going to miss at least one of those weeks. And in its place, there'll be the all-media podcast. But we're not sure if we're going to miss both yet. We're not quite sure what's going to happen. So we'll get back to you with the holiday schedule probably next week. There's either one or two Pick a Week podcasts left this year. And then we start again anew in 2012. Bitchin'. In the meantime, check out ifanboy.com for my Pick of the Week review and also my Book of the Month review, which we will discuss next week when Ron gets back because I know he really loved that book and I want to wait to talk to him. Nothing against you, Paul, but you know, mm. you know how it goes. Mm. You can read all of our great content from Paul, from Josh, from other people who write well and they write hard and they do all kinds of great things for us. <laughs> Type, just really week. just bang on the keyboard. <laughs> you can go to ifanboy.com slash about to see our full staff listing and all of our social network links to be our friends with various social media. You can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash ifanboy or on facebook.com slash ifanboy. And we do a weekly video show, but we're on hiatus for the rest of the year and we'll be back sometime next year. Check out the hol- holiday gift guides too. There's a oh, yeah, lot this of whole week's been holiday gift guides for every and, kind uh, of person. We'll do a yeah. wrap up on Monday where we'll list all the gift guides. So if you missed them, you can go on Monday to iFanboy and check out. There'll be a full listing of all the gift guides we did. All kinds of categories, great stuff. Lots of buyer's envy in those, in those mm-hmm. articles this week. Mm-hmm. And you can email us at contact at iFanboy.com or leave a voicemail at one eight 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 fanboys That's 326-2697 with any questions, comments, concerns, discussion topics, etc. If you like us and you like the shows and you want them to continue and you want people to learn about them, you can go to iTunes. You can leave reviews. You can spread the word of mouth. Uh, that's the best way to spread that. Also, herpes. So tell people you like about it, but don't kiss them. Wait, what? I'm oh, sorry. I zoned out and then I heard herpes. I don't know what happened. Spreading by mouth. Spreading by mouth. That's what herpes. It's the weekend. Don't be heartstick. My weekend buzz. What? I Listen, you probably have it. <laughs> I mean, like the chances are, no, it's latent. No, it's pro- you probably have herpes, and and you probably have uh, the genital ones too. 
whatever well, that, that is. Those I have, but not not the not, right. not the oral ones. That's, it's like a seventy-five percent chance. Don't be ridiculous. What's the one? What's the other one? The anyway, this is not this is not appropriate. HPV, that's the one. Human papillomavirus. You're probably a carrier. A slut like you? Well, I used to, I like to season my food with it. <laughs> you know, no, no, no. Frequent, whoa, whoa, whoa. HPV. No, no, you're thinking of HP sauce. That's different. Uh, oh. Yeah. It's not the same? You got that wrong. I'm uh, I'm educated on the current sexual disease climate. So, that's fine. Eisner's. <laughs> I think what you're listening to right now is is pretty much the key why why we've never been uh, nominated for an Eisner. <laughs> I think I think that it just they'll be talking about it. Well, what about that that I fanboy show? Does that get, you know they talked about HPV that one? Okay, let's move on. <laughs> it was supposed to be a joke, and it's not funny. I was just people open for a, people are suffering for a pee body. Actually, it, it leads to, to cervical cancer. Right. Uh, All right, debate. Okay. All right. Until next week, I'm Connor. I'm Paul. <laughs> I clearly listen to the Savage Love podcast.